This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Vacation starts with VA. Whether you're feeling beachy, mountainy, or every E in between, you'll find all that you love all in one trip to Virginia. Start yours at virginia.org. I'm actually on my way to go get these fillers dissolved from my cheeks and from my jawline because enough is enough. Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture. And hello, my beautiful, gorgeous listeners. I hope y'all's weekends are starting off as productive or unproductive as you wish them to be. Whatever is your speed. Before we get into today's episode, I want to do a little housekeeping. This is mostly for y'all who don't listen to our Wednesday episodes, which, what are you doing? Those episodes are just as great as the Saturday ones. Don't you want a double dose of me in your ear? You could be doing that all the time. But... For those of y'all who are choosing not to do that and who are exclusively Saturday girlies, unfortunately, this is not an official announcement on the co-host search, though fingers crossed that's coming super soon. Today's show is officially the last for our founding producer, Daniel Schrader. Daniel's been with us from the beginning, from, I mean, before the beginning even, before the show even had a name, Daniel was there. He's been thinking about moving on from Slate for a while now, but very graciously agreed to stay during this transition period, which went on for much longer than any of us expected it to. But now that we're super close to making that hire, Daniel has decided it's time for us to um, consciously uncouple. I just want to thank him one last time for his time on the show and honestly, Godspeed to whoever he chooses to torture with his love of puns. What that means is we have a new producer on the show. If y'all listen to the credits, you've probably heard her name. If you haven't, I'd love to officially welcome Sierra Spragley Ricks of the ICYMI family. I'm, I'm obsessed with Sierra. That's truly the only way I can describe it. And I think y'all will be too. But without further ado, let's get into today's episode, which is all about Black China, or as she would now prefer to be known, Angela White. Black China has been a fixture of the culture since Drake shouted her out on his 2010 song, Miss Me. In 2011, she was featured as Nicki Minaj's body double in the Monster Music video. The same year, she also appeared in Tiger's Rack City music video. This was around the same time she also started hanging out with the Kardashian-Jenner crew, even going so far as to be a guest at the now infamous Kardashian West wedding in 2014. Her, let's call it tumultuous relationship with the Kardashian crew is probably what she's most well known for at this point. She was engaged to the father of Kylie Jenner's child, Tyga. She was engaged to Robert Kardashian for a hot minute. She recently lost a $100 million defamation case against the Kardashians. So I think it might be fair to say that up until recently, Black China has been more infamous than famous. But now she's turning that around, or she's trying to. Since March, she's been documenting her cosmetic surgery reversal journey to her almost 17 million followers on Instagram. That journey includes dissolving her facial fillers, so cheek and lip fillers, reducing her breasts, and removing silicone injections from her butt. 
for a woman whose notoriety has primarily been found in her sex appeal and her body, it's it's a pretty dramatic choice. But it's not the only dramatic choice she's making. She's shut down her extremely successful OnlyFans. She's getting rid of, quote, demonic tattoos. She's getting baptized. She's allegedly getting a doctorate of liberal arts from an evangelical college. Is this college accredited? Unclear. But what is clear is that something is happening here. And Black China is not the only one it's happening to. The family that's played a large part in her fame is also on a filariversal journey. Meanwhile, more Americans than ever are getting plastic surgery. So to help me make sense of what feels like a huge dissonance, I invited culture writer and critic Terry Nguyen to join me. She's written pieces like The Morbid Appeal of Botched Plastic Surgery and Are We Ever Authentically Ourselves Online? And she'll be joining me after a short break to talk about Black China, the changing perception of plastic surgery, and what this all has to do with race, because y'all know I'm going to make it about race. I really hope y'all enjoy the conversation I had with Terry as much as I did. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well... It was meant to. We were on this mission together, and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Hey, I'm journalist Sam Sanders. I'm poet Saeed Jones. And I'm producer Zach Stafford, and we are the hosts of a podcast called Vibe Check. On Vibe Check, we talk about everything. News, culture, and entertainment, and how it all feels. That's right. We talk about any and everything on our show, from real-life issues like grief to music and movie critiques. And that barely scratches the surface. Yes, indeed. And it doesn't stop there. We have got a lot to say. So join our group chat, Come to Life. Follow and listen to Vibe Check wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, everybody. Uh, so I'm at the doctor's office right now, and as y'all know, I've been changing my life and changing my ways. So one of the things that I feel like is going to take me to the next level is obviously taking some of these ass shots out so I can grow. And I'm back with Terry Nguyen, a culture writer and critic whose work has appeared in a whole host of incredible publications. She also previously wrote about consumerism, technology, and pop culture for Vox. And she's currently a senior staff writer for Dirt, a daily newsletter about digital culture. Terry, hello. Welcome to the show. Hi, Rachel. I'm so excited to be here. Ugh. So one of the first questions I usually ask all of my guests is what their first internet memory is. And as a fan of your work, I'm really excited to hear yours. So I remember being on YouTube at a really young age, watching an Avril Lavigne music video 
And that changed my mind. Like that, that blew my mind, actually. Do you remember which music video it was? I think it had to be Girlfriend. Like it, yeah. it was just so vividly like punk or so mm-hmm. I thought it was punk, you know? Yes. I was um, a former emo kid as um, my listeners well know. So I know exactly what you mean. Um, a kind of offshoot question that I think will kind of nicely transition into today's show is, do you remember the first celebrity that you really kind of followed that you realized had plastic surgery done? Oh, damn. I actually think I became more aware of it with Kylie Jenner and the Kardashians. Mm. I think I, I, I was very online. I was in high school. I'm like around the same age as Kylie. And I remember she had the teal hair and yeah. everyone at that time was like, Oh, she's like not like all the other sisters. She's kind of alt. Mm-hmm. And then like, I think around 2017, her face started morphing. <laughs> Like, it it was such a radical change in her body, too. And that sort of was when I realized that these people were doing, like, crazy stuff to their bodies. Um, I was also really into K-pop, and I think I vaguely understood that there was a lot of work being done. Um, But yeah, I think the Kylie Jenner transformation was uh, really groundbreaking for me. That was also around the time she had her lip kit come out, and I was just like, it's not just lipstick. There's something else going on here. Like, it looks a little too plump. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I grew up watching a lot of reality television, um, including, do you remember The Girls Next Door on E! Network, which followed three Playboy bunnies living with Hugh Hefner? No, I actually didn't have cable growing up, so mm. I missed out on that part of pop culture, but... Like Playboy bunnies, and I remember like House Bunny. Like I feel like there was a yeah, a big bunny phenomenal boom movie. happening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, that was a great movie. Um, so Girls Next Door follows three of Hugh Hefner's girlfriends, whatever the fuck that meant at the time. And one of them is super open about her plastic surgery and says that her breasts are insured for one million dollars. And when researching this episode, I found out this show started airing when I was nine years old, which made me realize a few things. The first of which is that I I probably shouldn't have known about insuring breasts for a million dollars at such a young age. But all of this is to say that plastic surgery has lived rent-free in my head for a long time. What's crazy, though, is that actually I think I understood the concept of plastic surgery from my mom because she gossiped to me about like a classmate's mother who had plastic surgery. And that was like a really big thing in like Asian American circles. Mm -hmm. Um, So I remember her just being like, oh, yeah, your friend's mom got her boobs done, which is like really inappropriate because I was definitely in elementary school at that time. But Mm -hmm. Yeah, the awareness just happened around that time, like really early, like you said. Yeah, this is making me think of that Mean Girl scene with Amy Poehler, where mm-hmm. they're like, she got her boobs done, they're hard as a rock. <laughs> <laughs> um, I could probably talk about plastic surgery in the media I consumed as a 10-year-old for the rest of my life, but <laughs> that is not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about Angela Renee White, more well-known as Black China. I gave a bit of her history before the break, but just to refresh, Black China's fame really began and peaked in the 2010s. That's when Drake name dropped her. It's when she performed as a body double for Nicki Minaj in the Monster Music video, an iconic moment for literally everyone on 
the world. <laughs> it's when she and Tiger were together. It's when she and Rob Kardashian were together. And as we can all tell by the list of accolades, she's famous largely for her sex appeal, which is predicated on her body, which mm-hmm. a body that she spent a lot of time and money and energy investing in. And she's now investing even more time and money and energy into it by reversing all these procedures and documenting the entire thing. And before we kind of dig into that, I just want to know, were you keeping up with this like kind of Black China filler removal story? And if you were, what did you first think about it when you heard about it? I actually like didn't really keep up, but I felt like I heard just a lot of quote unquote reversals happening with plastic surgery. And so it didn't really surprise me necessarily as much as it felt like she and like a lot of people, namely the Kardashians, were kind of like undoing their BBLs and sort of going for a more natural look um, since in the culture, it seems like natural. And I say this with air quotes seems Mm -hmm. to be in right now. We're actually going to dig in a bit deeper into that because that is also something (laughs) that I've noticed. But before we do, Black China is on like a very specific rebrand journey right now. Like Mm -hmm. she's not just dissolving filler, which includes like silicone ass injections. She's like (laughs) getting baptized. She's getting rid of a quote demonic tattoo. She shut down her OnlyFans. Someone I followed said they wouldn't be surprised if she popped up like married to the pastor of a megachurch in a few months, which also wouldn't surprise me. But the thing that really seemed to dominate the headlines is the reversal of these cosmetic procedures. And I'm curious as to why you think people are so enthralled by like these reversal stories. I think overall, just like American culture is obsessed with like what women and namely celebrities do to their bodies. And so the reversal of plastic surgery, as much as like getting plastic surgery is interesting to us. Cause I think we're just overall really nosy. And, um, a lot of <laughs> our care <laughs> about plastic surgery is really aspirational. Um, even if we purportedly like don't want to look like black China, for example. Uh, but it's super interesting. I did want to make an aside here about her sort of like spiritual growth slash rebrand I was like listening to this podcast by these three like ladies called Nymphet alumni and they had this great phrase which they coined called spiritual bimboism and um, it talks about how women who are like highly sexualized go through this sort of like transformational arc in which they end up like aspiring to be really religious or spiritual mm-hmm. and I and I feel like black China is like the latest kind of Mm -hmm. person like Pamela Anderson also has like a spiritual vibe um and so it's I don't know it's there's there's a there's a trend here somewhere (laughs) there very much is like the religious element of it was so fascinating to me because at first I just saw that we're reversing our black China's reversing like all of her procedures and then I saw like the baptism, all her uh, media appearances are like, I'm focusing on faith, not fame. And it's so fascinating, especially given where we are in the broader culture right now, where I feel like there are certain segments of progressive circles that have gotten really invested in religion recently. Like there's this revamp of Catholicism in like the far left. Yeah, I definitely feel like, what Black China is saying is very similar to me and what like Tila Tequila did. Like, gotta shout out my Asian girl who kind of went off the deep end. 
Uh, like they just completely, well, she, I think was a more extreme example. She like stopped wearing makeup whatsoever as well. Um, but yeah, I mean like a couple of months or maybe it was like over a year ago, but I feel like there was a lot of discussion about how America is less religious than ever, but there is this greater strain or desire to fill that void just because we don't have like anything to believe in. And so people are gravitating to like astrology or like tarot or all these other like woo woo practices um, because we're no longer like formally religious. As an astrology girly, <laughs> I do understand. Same. I'm a tarot girly, so I get it. Uh- Yay. (laughs) The interesting thing about the Black China journey is that the reaction's been like overwhelmingly positive, which I don't know if I was expecting. I was expecting, I think, more of a kind of like we're gawking and that's it. And to be clear, she looks incredible. But there's something really fascinating happening to me about the way plastic surgery is being talked about like both in this context and just like writ large, you mentioned how like natural is back in. I want to play a little bit of what Black China is saying about this in an interview. You know, as women, like we want to look the best and like as fake as possible and plastic and everything needs to be perfect and this and that, but that's not normal. You know, that comes from like insecurity and different things of that sort. And just being in that certain kind of life and lifestyle, kind of done with that type of lifestyle. And I just want to step into my own. I want to kind of focus on the fake and plastic thing. As someone who covers the internet and who spends like a lot of time thinking about consumerism and trends, I'm wondering if you feel the same way I do, which is that it felt like for a hot minute there in the late like 2010s into the 2020s where plastic surgery was not only normalized, but sometimes celebrated. Like everyone you saw on TV or social media had lip fillers, but it feels like we've turned another corner or like we're back where we started where plastic surgery is kind of being vilified yeah I really think it's interesting because like I think Americans don't have like a middle ground we're either moralizing that it's good to have plastic surgery or like we're against it like I feel like there's like it's hard to express nuance about these situations and I think kind of right now in the culture we're at an interesting point in which we really support a woman's right to choose like choose whatever she does with her body whether it be like a BBL or if she wants like remove filler or whatever it is um with all kind of the nuances of like what's like acceptable to do and talk about um I I do agree that I feel like we've run a corner when it comes to like discourse about plastic surgery. Um, and I think it's widely accepted now that everyone has plastic surgery just kind of because of the internet and these like Instagram and TikTok pages that show the changes mm-hmm. in celebrities' faces. Um, I, I, I think, I don't think we're going back to all natural, but I think there is a step away from this like Instagram face. Um, kind of in the late 2010s, this like cyborg aesthetic. And, and I think, I really think that has to do with the fact that we were worried kind of culturally that we were going too far. Um, I think it's sort of like maybe an implicit fear of changing our bodies too much. Um, I think I, I wrote about this, it might have been two years ago or a year and a half ago about this obsession with looking at botched like plastic surgery videos there is this like ingrained like deep fascination with how much we can make our bodies look extreme in some ways uh and but but I, I think it's coupled with like this deep 
like inexplicable disgust, but also this desire to keep looking and like pushing the boundaries. Um, so it's really psychological. I don't know. Like I, um, it's really fascinating. Like that's all I can say. Yeah, it really kind of reminds me of the fixation on era-specific plastic surgery. The funny thing about watching a lot of reality television is that you can really start to tell exactly when someone has gotten their work done. And then when you go on sites like Reddit, you'll see commenters really focus on that. Like, well, she has cat face now. Yeah. I am obsessed with Lori Hill. She's like this YouTuber who has pretty much made her name dissecting every single potential plastic surgery that a celebrity has done. But it's fascinating that you say that you can kind of tell because now I think even with like breast implants, like technology has improved so that shit looks more natural. And I think there's more sort of like, I mean, it's obviously not natural, but they're using more like not silicone or like not hard materials per se but sort of like grafting your fat or taking like buckle fat removal for example that's like you can say that's more natural than like cheek fillers uh so it's like an interesting like I feel like the technological curve of getting plastic surgery has like altered the look of it as well I want to go back to something you mentioned which was these Instagram accounts and this YouTube account you just mentioned that are really just focused on pointing out like these minute possible plastic surgery additions that people have on their faces. It's a whole genre of account at this point. They exist on TikTok. They exist on Instagram. They exist on YouTube. They probably exist on Twitter. Why do you think people are so fascinated and enthralled by like trying to figure out what work people have had done? Yeah, like I said, I think it probably has to do, I kind of went like theory mode when I wrote this Fox piece, but it has to probably do with like our intrinsic desire to like tell what's real and what's fake. And I I think at some levels, like if you watch an episode of Botched, like I did when I was reporting, like I almost want to look away, but I can't. And I think the pervasiveness of like a face like Bella Hadid, for example, Like, she's just everywhere, whether you want to look at her or not. And coupled with, like, you see her face changing. And so I think it it satisfies, like, a very natural curiosity um, for us to, like, compare and contrast. Um, Doja Cat is another example. Like, I, I feel like I look at her old music videos and I look at her new face and I'm like, there's something different, but I can't tell what. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, the TikTok and the internet is great because, there are so much like speculative theories about these things, but having the image like side by side just makes it so clear that something's changed with their face. So yeah, I think it's a combination of like people are talking about it more and also certain faces and certain like, I don't know, buckle fat removals or like that weird like eyebrow mm-hmm. thing where everyone's everyone looks like they have, I don't know, almond Asian lifted eyes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you're just like, oh, I um I I want like visible evidence of like this thing that's happening. Yeah, that was me with SZA's work that she's had done, which oh, is yo. <laughs> I think some of the best work done, but it was done so slowly over such a like mm-hmm. large amount of years that it's not that I didn't clock it, but I recently saw a photo of her from maybe 2013 when she just came out on the scene. And I was like, oh, my God, she used to look like me. (laughs) And now she very much does not. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I think if you look at like photos of celebrities from even like the 50s and 60s. Like plastic surgery was a thing for major Hollywood stars. Mm -hmm. But just because the their image was not like available, like you would only see images of them after they were famous, for example. And so you wouldn't really know what they looked like beforehand. Like if you look at Marilyn Monroe, who's like such a clear example of like a Hollywood icon, like girl did not look like that out of the womb. Mm -hmm. Like she like built that image. But now I think... It's like anyone, any level of celebrity or any person can like undergo this sort of glow up, this transformation. And I think it's interesting because there's this term that became popular over COVID called like looks maxing. It's sort of like adjacent to like more incel or femcel, like online communities in which you try to make yourself super hot essentially mm-hmm. to climb the social ladder. But I think it, is also in line with that like obsession of people realizing that you know there are things like pretty privilege or there are now ways in which you can make yourself look better um and so we look to celebrities as an example of that yeah i mean speaking of looking to celebrities i feel like the kardashians as you mentioned are kind of the best weather vane for like the broader cultural feeling about where we are with plastic surgery and Kim's butt's definitely been getting smaller. Kylie famously is dissolving her lip filler. And I think what's interesting to me is that that and the Black China filler reversal is happening at the same time or like right after a pretty significant rise in plastic surgery for the average person before, during, and after the pandemic. And I'm curious as to what you think is happening here where celebrities are reversing at the same time that most people seem to be accessing. I think it's another example of celebrities or the cultural elite or people with money, essentially, who want to differentiate themselves from the masses. I think you see this also with fashion and kind of how fast fashion has given rise to like copycat items. And in the same way, it's kind of happening eerily and scarily with plastic surgery. There are stories of women going to South America to get cheaper plastic surgery done, sort of replicating um, the quote-unquote high-end surgery that someone like the Kardashians would be able to have. Um, And so I think part of that is the desire to like look different um, and constantly change their look. Uh, I also feel like it's in line with Ozempic being a big Dior, this new drug. Like Ozempic famously is this drug for people who have diabetes. And now it's become something that's really hard to get your hands on because of demand. And um, I wrote about this in Dirt that I don't think being skinny has gone out of fashion for really famous or wealthy people. If you look at like the white women at runway shows for the past like two decades, they've always been super skinny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but something in the culture, sort of like pop culture, at least with the Kardashians um, and the body positivity movement kind of led being curvy to become celebrated. Um, and it's interesting to kind of see them walk away from that. But then also, I don't know, I think they saw a recent advertisement, a Skims advertisement of Kim in a bikini and she looked like she had a plump butt. 
So you never know what's really happening these days. And it's so fascinating to me that we're, as observers and as critics, kind of trying to figure out, like, what's happening based on, like, the waistline of one woman, it feels like. Yeah, I do think an arguably good thing is that people are aware of sort of body and beauty trends now and are willing to speak out about it. Because I've been on these, like, Reddit forums and people are saying, you should individualize, like dress according to your body. You should um, personalize your preferences rather than chase trends. And so I think we are at the saturation point in which there are so many trends, there's so much discourse about it, that I think people are maybe wiser about it and are not going to like get immediate lip injections as everyone did in like 2018 or 2017. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, after seeing what happened with like the BBL era and seeing like so many people spend money on that. Um, I wonder if like us wising up to it has come like a little too late. That's a really great observation. And one I want to talk a little bit more about, but first we need to take a short break. When we come back, we'll be talking about that and something I've been calling the authenticity boom. Hi, y'all. Hope you're enjoying today's show. If this is your first time listening, then welcome. I am so thrilled to have you here. In case you missed it, that's what ICYMI stands for. I recently learned that some of y'all don't know that. So there you go. Also, our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays, so make sure you never miss an episode like this past Wednesdays, where we had Justin Richmond come on the podcast to talk about Ticketmaster and why buying concert tickets sucks so much ass. I hope that it affirms you in the same way that it affirmed me. Black China's a brand, and I'm a human, so Angela. And we're back Before the break, you mentioned to me, Terry, that you wondered if us wising up to the kind of cyclical nature of plastic surgery maybe came a little too late. And part of, I think, us wising up to it and part of the filler reversal and even part of the, I mean, recent trend I've seen of people saying, like, you need to find your personal style instead of chasing what these influencers are doing is... To me, it feels like an interesting kind of rejection of what's Mm -hmm. perceived as like inauthenticity. Like one of the most popular comments on an interview that Black China did was, thank you for making it okay to be natural and not fake, which is like a loaded comment, but reminded me of a lot of things. The clean girl trend from last year, which I'm sure you're familiar with. This recognition of Facetune and filters and the fact that everyone's using them and also of a piece you wrote last year about Be Real called Are We Ever Authentically Ourselves on the Internet? First, do you feel like we're ever authentically ourselves on the internet? And second, do you think that we're in what I've been calling authenticity boom? Yeah, I don't think we are ever authentically ourselves because I prescribe to the idea that, you know, we are multiple Selves. Like we present mm. ourselves differently. Like in the workplace, we present ourselves, you know, at a bar differently than we would, you know, at a dinner with our parents. And I think the same thing occurs like on social media. Like you would not, maybe you would, I, I don't know, <laughs> like act the same way you would on Twitter as you would on Instagram. Mm. I don't know, like the tone I j- adopt and sort of how I am is just very different. Or maybe a, a better example is like close friends on Instagram versus, you know, public Instagram. Mm-hmm. But I think 
those distinctions or those like fragmented selves has always been a part of like people's lives for like decades, even before social media. It's just, I think, um, having a personal brand has become more important and significant um, in sort of popular culture now, such that we, or I say we, but I think more so influencers or people who are trying to build a career off of having a social media following uh, feel pressure. They have to present themselves as authentically as possible to their audience mm-hmm. um, to, you know, curry favor or to get their audience to trust them. Where in reality, it's a lot more complicated than that. The authenticity boom is interesting. I really like that phrase. I think there's always been this desire to showcase ourselves like authentically or to like look at other people and like realize that they are being authentic on the internet. Um, but I don't know if that's like ever really been possible. Um, I think people are like the language of authenticity is being tossed around a lot more these yeah. days. Authenticity and community, which is really interesting. And I think they both go hand in hand um, to be authentic, to cultivate a community and to be in community with someone. You have to be authentic mm-hmm. or bring your true self, whatever that is. I think the the language that we're adopting around it is really fascinating. But I think deep down, uh, people realize that it's way more complicated than that. Um, it's just easy to kind of, you know, use an app like Be Real and feel like you're being authentic or post a selfie of yourself where you're not wearing makeup and be like, that's an authentic version of me. Mm-hmm. Um, the clean girl aesthetic is fascinating because it's essentially just like natural makeup. I'm like, girl, you're not really doing anything new you're wearing groundbreaking here and a slick back bun baby girl like it's not that interesting (laughs) it's not you're right (laughs) but it reminds me of this tiktok aesthetic in a way of the chaotic get ready with me that's supposed to signal this authenticity of you're in my life you are seeing me as i really am um and there's this huge demand for it, it feels like. Everyone in the comments is just like, it's why people love Alex Earl or people love Emma Chamberlain or people love Monet McMichaels, who I also love, but it's because they come across as just themselves, even though it's a presentation. And I'm curious as to what you think it says about where we're kind of at right now in influencer culture, that we're swinging towards demanding almost a perceived authenticity. Yeah. Last year, I actually came across this TikTok um, by this uh, TikToker named Achille Mori. And I also interviewed him for another piece um, on Vox. But he coined this phrase called casual Instagram, in which it seemed like everyone was posting photo dumps or just really unedited or casual photos. Um, But he made the argument that, you know, when you're posting that part of your lizard brain is also aware that people are going to look at it and perceive it a certain way. And so there's this perennial sort of like hyper self-awareness that happens in like everyone's life on the internet, um, especially so if you're an influencer. Um, but it does make the influencer seem very approachable. I think like all those names you mentioned, like Emma Chamberlain has made herself the queen of relatability even to the point in which she's no longer relatable. Like, have you seen her architectural digest, like her home? Yes, I have. And it's gorgeous and it's not relatable at all. I'm very jealous, but also like her lifestyle was so different. And yet she presents says, oh, I'm still the girl next door. Mm -hmm. And that dichotomy is so fascinating to me because like no matter where a person is 
in their income level or like where, like, like whether they're a Nepo baby mm-hmm. or not, um, we still want that like feeling of, oh, they're authentic. Sophia Coppola's like daughter, I think recently went viral on TikTok mm-hmm. for being like, oh yeah, I'm grounded. And then she's like, I can't leave my house, but my babysitter slash manservant <laughs> went and got me pasta ingredients. And everyone's like, oh my God, go off. She's so unfiltered. And I'm like, no, this is like a rich girl. Like just like living her life and not being like the worst human in the world. She shouldn't be like denigrated for being rich, mm-hmm. but like what is there to celebrate here really? And the same thing with Kellyanne Conway's oh, yes. daughter. Like I remember she was also like, stand for being like chaotic and crazy Mm -hmm. you know so it's a huge dissonance between what's actually Mm -hmm. happening which is most often a huge amount of wealth or some kind of cachet that is allowing this presentation in a way and then this idea that because it's almost like they're speaking in a certain way that is relatable enough that people are like They're just like me. And it's weird. (laughs) It's fascinating. Yeah, I think it's really fascinating how a language or the turn of phrases that we use are becoming more like seen as common or relatable. And I think a lot of it is like, you know, the African-American vernacular has become really big on TikTok and on the internet in general. And it's used by all kinds of groups of people. This goes back to my point that I talk about a lot about how algorithms and the internet has kind of destroyed subcultures or sort of anything that's like niche and cool or underground and kind of makes it mainstream. And the people who manage to successfully capitalize off of that are often really boring, sort of bland stars. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> My old uh, colleague at Vox, Rebecca Jennings, had a really great piece about how like the biggest TikTok stars are just blandly beautiful, sort of like white adjacent or white passing creators. Mm-hmm. Um, and that statement was really crazy to me. I was like, oh my God, you're right. In that piece you wrote about authenticity and be real, you wrote, since the online self is fractured across multiple platforms and mediums, authenticity matters and that it's coherent, ready-made identity for consumption by a public audience. And I was thinking of that with Black China and specifically her desire to go by her given name now, which is Angela White. She says that Black China's the brand, but Angela White's the human behind it, which is a very savvy move on her part, I mm-hmm. feel. Not least because I feel like it sets up Angela White to become a brand but an anti-brand brand. Yeah, this is crazy to me because I went on her Instagram and she's still sort of like wearing makeup and presenting herself in a certain way, but a little differently. Mm -hmm. It's just a rebrand, like you said, with her name alongside that as well. But I can't help but think about the de-influencing trend that recently happened Mm. and how people were like, I'm not influencing because I'm telling you not to buy certain things, but you're also talking about it online. So you are influencing Mm -hmm. and we're, we're at a point where discourse feels so meta. And yeah, I think the black China Angela White is very like emblematic of that. So something that somehow has not come up yet is that I want to mention is black China is very obviously black. Um, she doesn't come from like a privileged background. She said on Tamron Hall that she got her silicon injections done illegally in a random house in DC. And that at the time that she got them done, it wasn't something that was accessible to anyone but strippers, aka sex workers, and the trans community, which 
I think kind of really drills down not only into where beauty trends tend to emerge from, which are like black queer people, but who's like most at risk and who's shamed for taking on that risk, even as they're kind of pioneering a style that becomes like omnipresent, which is this very specific IG baddie ideal that is now kind of being rejected. And I'm curious as to what you think about that in relation to like what we're talking about, which feels like this rejection right now of this very specific like IG baddie ideal that was very dominant. Yeah, I think it has to do with sort of the mainstream cherry picking what kinds of aesthetics it prefers and likes and treating the aesthetic of a certain identity as disposable or interchangeable. You know, when you mentioned that, I immediately thought about one of my favorite documentaries. It's called Paris is Burning. And it's about the New York drag scene in the 90s and how so much of their vernacular um, when I was watching it sounded so modern. And it was just crazy to me how like even the aesthetic seemed really modern. I think the pivot to away from the Instagram baddie is not really like a rejection against those communities per se, but more so it speaks to how like identities, like even a race, <laughs> like if you look at whatever Ariana Grande is doing, like she looked, you know, frankly black mm-hmm. or Latino before, and now she looks kind of Asian mm-hmm. <laughs> slash white. I have no idea, but it, it goes to show how at a certain point, celebrities or influencers choose to adopt certain aesthetics that are not really in line with their true identity per se, but it's more like a costume. I actually heard someone say that fashion trends, and I think this applies to also to body trends or whatever beauty trends you want to call it. um, It's almost like a video game skin. Mm -hmm. Like you can take it off and like change it so rapidly and so quickly because of like what's available to us like on the market. Yeah. And it's really, I think, interesting to me in regard to Black China because she does actually come from the communities that these trends emerge from. And again, I think it's very savvy of her to pivot in this way that she is right now. But the way that it's received is so different from how like Kylie getting her lip fillers dissolved or Kim doing whatever she's doing. Like it's almost paternalistic in a way, the way people are reacting to Black China in that they're like, good for you. You're really getting your life together, like finally. When she was an incredibly successful businesswoman, like she came up, she was making millions of dollars off of her OnlyFans. Like she was one of the highest earning people on OnlyFans. She survived (laughs) the ordeal with the Kardashians. Like She's always been incredibly smart. And it's really interesting to me that people are just now realizing that because of the way that she is choosing to look. And that is to move away from this aesthetic that is from this community that she came up in. Yeah, I also think it might have to do with her fan base and her sort of reception in the press. Like, I'm going to go off on a limb and say she's like not sort of like a major major celebrity in the way Mm -hmm. that the Kardashians are in the sense that the press coverage around her, like I would argue that her fan base maybe is like a little more niche and they are more readily able to like support her rather than find what she does controversial. Mm. Um, Because I, I really think the Kardashians are like the only kind of family that triggers that like really controversial reaction. Um, But I agree. I think when a woman chooses to present more quote-unquote conservatively according to popular culture it's still applauded for whatever it is like we're in 2023 
And yet so much of what women choose to do with their bodies like is a statement. We can never avoid the broader male slash societal gaze. Um, So it's interesting that Black China is being applauded slash seen as someone who's getting her life together. It's a really like interesting like reception. Mm -hmm. But I will say that I feel like everything is connected. Like if you look at pop culture, like everything is connected. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like somehow we walk from Black China to Clean Girl to Ariana Grande's like race shift. Mm -hmm. It is all connected. It's all this desire or this trying to figure out like how to present. And it is like you were saying, like race is a costume in a way and how what race is in right now to put on as a costume, I think does say a lot about where we are as a culture. And it seems kind of like a very specific type of Black aesthetic is no longer the default. If anything, with the Ozempic shift, like people are saying, we're going back to the 2000s. But like truly, like it's always been white people kind of doing it. Mm-hmm. Like I <laughs> I think like, you know, the, the certain communities, certain groups, certain subcultures get their time in the limelight, but like who's kind of in control of that Mm -hmm. limelight Mm -hmm. is like what I always think about. All right, that is the show. We'll be back in your feeds on Wednesday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode. Please leave a rating and review in Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. Tell your reality TV stars who are reversing their facial plastic surgery about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions like, why is everyone's face looking different right now? And you can also always drop us a note at ICYMI at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader, Sierra Spragley-Ricks, and me, Rachel Hampton. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. See you online or on Tamron Hall. <laughs>